Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting and jam-packed episode of Modern Day Philosophers. I am in my hotel room a few hours away from getting married. It's two in the morning. Me and my brother Josh are here. I just wanted to post the episode before I went to sleep because I gotta give I gotta give something to you guys. We all gotta be we all gotta have something tomorrow, some kind of connection. You guys can be listening to the show while I'm getting married and you've been with me through the whole journey. If you go back and listen to old episodes as I have on occasion, you can hear how I was nervous and scared to get married and to make this big step in my life and largely through the show and through the ideas that I've worked out and concepts and uh, just by using my mind like a Rubik's Cube I finally seem to have gotten the colors together and uh, I have no nervousness at all I'm excited I'm ecstatic I'm just really ready to get married and I'm so ready to get married to Kylie. I'm just really, really happy. That's that's all there is to it. You listen to the episode now with my friend Dante Nero, who is probably uh, about as different from me when it comes to women and, and love as anyone could possibly be. And I was referring to Kylie in the episode as my girlfriend. This episode was recorded before I even proposed to her. And I hear myself when I listen to it being like, ah. Oh, should I get married? I'm asking him about his failed marriage. And I've just come so far since then. I'm just, here I am in this hotel room being like, oh, can it, can it be the wedding already yet? It's almost here. How many more hours? I feel very lucky, very, very blessed and very excited. And, uh, thanks for coming on this journey with me. Hopefully we'll get to do a lot more stuff together. Me and you listeners. I've got to know so many of you over the past two years and had great correspondences with you, and I look forward to meeting so many more of you. Email me at thecomical at yahoo.com. And other than that, all you need to know is that Dante refers to Patrice a bunch of times in the episode. He's referring to the late, great comedian Patrice O'Neill, who we were both friends with, and uh, Dante's podcast is called the beige phillips show because he used to do a podcast with patrice o'neill called the black phillips show so it's an homage to patrice and so if you're wondering when he keeps talking about patrice that's who it is patrice o'neill the great i'm sad to have lost him but i can't even feel sad right now i'm just too happy and too excited i don't know how i'm gonna get to sleep i gotta go to sleep I'm, I'm, I'm getting congested here. I'm, I need to stay healthy. Got to be ready. All right. Next time I talk to you guys, I'll be a married man. Until then, without further ado, except for the intro song, of course, here's my talk with my good buddy of many years, Dante Nero. Enjoy. Welcome to Modern Day Philosophers. Modern Day Philosophers. Having failed to pay attention in school, Danny Lobel, now older and wiser, will attempt to learn basic philosophy 101. Our young hero will be joined by today's top comedians, philosophers all their own. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Danny Lobel. Modern Day Philosophers.
What's happening, everybody? I am here in Brooklyn, New York, with a guy. We started comedy together at the same time, in the same place. We've always been in touch, and even though we don't see each other for a long time, we've always been good friends. Yeah, yeah, we, absolutely. We, we wound up starting in the same club. We wound up moving to the same club. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the man who also has a great podcast, The Beige Phillips Show. Yeah. Uh, Dante Nero is What's my going guest. on, Danny? How you doing? I'm, I just want to say I always have a good feeling when I see you. It's one of, you're one of those people that I run into from time to time. And um, I know now that you're on the West Coast and I'm on the East Coast, we don't see each other often. But anytime I see you, it's just a, a good, a, a genuinely good and sincere feeling. And um, I'm, I'm glad to be here. We are in the Pimp Cup. This is what my studio is. I love it, man. <laughs> I've been here once when I did your show. But yeah. it really, you could. And, and by the way, it's mutual. I always feel great when I see you. When yeah, I, yeah. You know, you're one of those guys. I just got to go over and give him uh, yeah, give a hug, yeah. you know, because a lot of history, a lot of nostalgia, a yeah. lot of, lot of uh, going through bitching and complaining and, and going through to getting your bumps in this business, paying your dues. So let, let's go back in Dante history for a few minutes. because sure. It's an interesting history. I know from we've talked, you've, you went to New Paltz College, which is where New, my dad went. Sony New Paltz, yeah. And, and, uh, and, and I was a, I was a frat boy. And uh, my uh, uh, there was at the time there was five major Greek letter organizations, mm -hmm. and uh, I was in the best one, of course. Okay. Uh, Omega Psi <laughs> Phi. And, I've never uh, been in. I'm, not only have I not ever been in a fraternity, they don't even let me in the parties. <laughs> <they> ever. <don't. laughs> I've never even allowed to. When they say, "All right, everybody, everybody come like, to this frat house," they're like, "No, uh, you not can't you. Go, not you." <laughs> I, you know what? It's it's even more than that. I haven't even gotten rejected from the party. I don't even. I've never even even found know. out about it. They don't even tell you where the keggers are. All right, <laughs> fair enough. But I also didn't go to a real college. I went to Baruch in, yeah, okay. in, in Manhattan. But oh, you know what? I take it back, and I'll tell you a quick story sure. to divert the conversation. But I did go to one fraternity party once in Albany. It was an all-black fraternity. And I let this. I'm st I w my friend was going to Albany. I, I took his student ID because I was like, let's go to a party. I'm, right. I've never been to a real college. Let's right, do this. Right. He's like, here, take my student ID and go to a party because you needed to have a student ID. Right, right. So I'm, I'm there, and these two guys come up to me. I'm waiting in line to pay to go into this party, this fraternity, uh, black fraternity party. And these two guys come up. They're like, hey, we don't go to this school here, but we'd love to go. We'll, we'll each give you 20 bucks if you just say we're your friends because you have a student ID. Uh -huh. So I said, oh, Why sure. Not? Absolutely. Now, well, do one you of remember that? You remember the color they were wearing? No. The, you know, one of those guys pulled out a gun and started shooting in the party. <laughs> I was in the Albany Police all night. How do you know these guys? What's your affiliation with these guys? My friend got pulled in. He's screaming at me. He's, he thought it was a prank call when the right, police right, called right. him in Albany. That's all, maybe that's why I never went to anyone. Okay. Well, yeah. Gotta, what the chances are that those two guys would be the guys that pulled the guns out? Uh, only you, Danny. Only you. Because I didn't even pay. I didn't keep track of it. It was a big party. And then you just got them in and you just yeah. bounced. Yeah. And yeah. then also, I didn't really remember what they looked like. Right, right. Uh, there was a lot of black people there. Right, right. You know, right. Uh, <laughs> two black guys you right, know, right, right, that right. I let in. And uh, I mean, I don't know how well you remember white faces that you don't know, you well, know? Yeah, well, I mean. Even if they were white, I don't know if, if I would have If you weren't hanging them. with them and you yeah. just got them in, you, you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, it's two black guys. I don't know if that was them. They're, yeah. they're asking me, are these the guys? I said, I don't know. Then I was like, oh, I don't want to sound racist to the guy. I'm still thinking this right, about right, these guys who right, shot up the right, party. Right, 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 right. I don't want to sound like I don't, all black people look the same to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Are they them? That's And funny. the guys are looking at me and I'm, 
What are you covering mm. for them? You're covering for them, aren't you? You're either racist and you think all black people look alike, or you're covering for the 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 killers. I didn't yeah. pay attention. They gave me twenty bucks. My friends, like, I can't believe you let people in on my student ID. <laughs> I didn't think they were going to shoot up the party. It's weird. Um, but I uh, each each fraternity was represented yeah. in a male review, all male review, male strippers for Toys for Tots. That's some real fraternity stuff. There was huh? a guy who was supposed to represent for my fraternity and he backed out the last day. Uh-huh. And uh he uh I I uh so somebody called me, they knew I was nuts uh-huh. and I would do it and they called me last minute. I was like sure and uh and I did the show. Um and but two Who's other in the, how big a show is it? There was about 700 women there. Yeah. Wow. And it was supposed to be one, two, three, four, five strippers mm-hmm. and two guys, two other, two of the other fraternities dropped out last minute. And so they had to hire uh, pro strippers. Okay. okay. And uh, the two pro strippers happened to be guys that I knew from my neighborhood. And <laughs> what, what, uh, this neighborhood that yeah, we're in right, right now? Right around the corner from here. Okay. And, uh, and I and I was thinking about doing this as a as a way to make some money in college. I, I mean, I had a good body and I was athletic and I was. So acrobatic. you were already thinking about male stripping? Yeah, something in the yeah. Back I was already because I my new friends that were doing it just so happened that these guys who came because they had to hire pros right. because the other guys backed out. Were you also already naturally talented with women at this time in your life? Because I know you've always. Been I very was. Good. Uh, I was. You know, it was really weird. I was one of those guys that were good with women by accident. I had my first threesome. I was 18 years old, and it was literally by accident. You know when college. I had my first threesome? Uh, never. Never. Let <laughs> <laughs> it go with never. You're right. Um, it was it was a weird kind of thing. But I always had kind of my. I was always very different. Always had my own sense of style. And later on, I realized that you know having your own sense of style, it, it women go, wow, who, well, who is this? You don't stand. You stand out of the crowd, and that kind of. So I ended up having this threesome. When you say you have your own sense of style, you're not talking about how you dress. You just yeah, your about, dress, style, yeah. just everything, everything. Just your whole persona. Yeah, whole, yeah, okay. yeah. So I mean, I was, I was, um, I always was into martial arts. So I was a pretty, you know, I, was, I could handle myself. So I was a guy who did that, but also, you know, I was a guy who took uh, dance lessons. What kind I mean, of music did you listen to? Um, I listen to everything. I, I love blues. Mm-hmm. I love jazz. Yeah, I love okay. house. I love hip hop. I love um, classical. Back then, we're talking now the early '80s. I was listening to a lot of stuff. I I was always had a very eclectic view of uh, of of music. You know, because because we're transitioning into how. People don't know this, but you wound up becoming a male stripper. Yeah. That's yeah. what we're getting to here. Yes, right. That's how I ended up becoming a male stripper. What I'm wondering is the music. Well, I was a big house head. I was a big club head. Like uh, some of the biggest clubs in Chicago and New York with these ho- these huge house clubs, so, the Paradise Garage and B-52s You and were stuff. dancing to music that you liked. Yes, yes. Did that factor into the decision? Uh, I was a good dancer. Well, I think what happened... I, I, you know, it was just some. It was a way to make some money, and I was just kind of a creative dude, and so I just looked at it very logically mm-hmm. and philosophically. Well, why why would this work over what everybody else was doing? You're my only friend who was ever a male stripper. Right, okay, you know that? <laughs> to my knowledge. Okay, Fair to enough. my knowledge. So it's very outside of the box. Yeah, but uh, but you are a very creative guy. So yeah. it's interesting to 
take something like male stripping that doesn't think you know the word creativity doesn't come to mind right away. Well, it but hearing you it, talk about it, like it's, it's creative, it's right. very well, interesting. There was a uh, costume design. Like I, I taught mm-hmm. myself how to sew, and I sewed my own costumes. Really? Yeah. This, I. Um, this is very funny to me. And then I also, I also understood the the philosophical concept of congruence. Like for instance, I made my own cologne. And so I used to do this. My, my, my stripper name was Prince Mandingo. Mm-hmm. And I did this kind of African thing. I remember seeing uh, this movie, Shaka Zulu. I don't know if you remember Shaka Zulu, the movie Shaka Zulu. Anyway, in any event, there's a, there's a scene where he has this huge feather headdress uh-huh. and he claims his, his throne back. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I just, it was such a powerful scene. And I remember, because I have three older sisters. And I remember my sisters were watching it and were like, mm, like, mm, just because he, he just, we're talking about that very alpha male. You must have learned a lot about women from having older sisters. She, yeah, too. and they're totally different. I could talk about that for hours, but I, I'll cover it really quickly. My younger sister loved good looking guys, athletic, right? Really a lot of fun, like playful guys who would mm-hmm. wrestle and go to amusement parks and stuff, but they were always dumb. Like good looking, they were like bim- bambos or bimbo, like what I call male bimbos. My middle sister always liked guys who were like average looking, but very romantic poems, flowers, poetry, but they were always broke, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which in a way, probably they, they, they did those things, romantic things, because they couldn't afford other things. My older sister always messed with guys who had cars, money, jewelry travel trips and stuff but they were always ugly as shit and they were abusive Uh right so i remember as a kid very i was maybe 13 years old i was like wow if i could be the guy who could date all of my sisters not in the real sense but those genres Uh then i'd be an amazing dude so i started to at 13 years old i started working on that so i wanted to be intelligent a well-dressed sense of style Romantic, Fast athletic, car. money, uh, cars, motorcycles, motorcycles, a rough dude, you know. You decided to be the everyman, literally. That, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't really understand that that's yeah. what I was looking at. I was just like, wow, if I could, my sisters are so different. I figured if I'd have a pretty good shot if I could if I could satisfy all their needs in that. What sense. if you would have just nat- without trying, without coming to this realization? What if you would have just naturally evolved as you were? Which one of those three guys do you think you would have wound up being? Um, I was a good-looking athletic dude, so I probably would have been dumb, athletic, and, and, and good-looking and it's, can handle myself. It's yeah. so interesting. When do you think it, it occurred to you, at what age, that you were like, maybe I could be all three of those guys? I was like 13. I was like 13. Because I was the youngest of... All my sisters are older, and I watched... All of the things, all of the problems that they were going through in relationships and mm-hmm. marriages and stuff like that, and living with people. And this stuff is like, like a great opening scene for a comedy film. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, right. Like, I, the, I just the kid, me as like, a kid watching this is like Ray. <laughs> little notepad. Like you're the, walking like your Ray. Room. <laughs> Every time your sister gets in a fight, one of them with the boyfriend, you go in your room and you jot something down in your <laughs> right, right, diary. Right. I, have, I have a dry, dry eraser board. I'm figuring out formulas and shit. You've got post-it notes and newspaper clippings, uh, right, right, right. Uh, you know, strings with pins all over the place. You're trying to figure out how to be the perfect man. And, and uh, what happened was I started, then I started stripping, 
and understanding women. <laughs> this is what happens, by the way, Doc. What, what? <laughs> if you try to be every man, you wind up. You just... wind up being a stripper. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's I, mean. I, I started. I, I started stripping. Uh -huh. I mean, I was getting laid a lot in college too, and I didn't really understand why. It just it just kind of fell into that. It's like you know the Chris Rock bit. Or it's like he. I only have one job as a father is to keep my daughter off, off that the, right, pole. Right, right, right. No one ever thinks that when they have a son. <laughs> right, 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 right. You are, you. Are, I am on the floor humping some wood floor in somebody's club somewhere. Whatever. What are you gonna do? Um, but I. Uh, it's really interesting. Uh, right. Go on. I'm sorry. So I. So that was my thought process, and then I started stripping, and then understanding how women think was necessary to eat mm -hmm. because that was my job so i started noticing subtle subtle things when i was dancing what turned women on what Give what me turned some them examples on. um like when a guy watches a stripper she's naked she's got a nice body that's fine a woman looks at really subtle things like the arch of your like if you're humping the floor your arch of your back your fingers like if your your fingers are pointed, like little little details. And how did you know that they were looking for that? Because when I would do certain things, it would they would respond differently. I used to do this thing where I would be humping the floor, mm -hmm. and then I would smack the floor. Yeah, like be a wood flanner. Pop, 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 and yeah. they were like, oh, oh. <laughs> and I was just smacking the floor. Now, to a, if a girl smacks the floor, yeah, guys go, what is wrong with this crazy bitch smacking the floor? <laughs> But women look at it as a dominant thing. It's the floor a becomes them. Their ass okay. or their face or whatever it is mm -hmm. that turns them on and that aggressiveness. Like, And then I started knowing, understanding when I didn't break character, they really got deep into it. Where I had, I was having, chicks would scratch me and bite me and stuff like that. And then I started work playing with music. I used to use this deep drum music, this jungle music and mm -hmm. And the costume was like loincloths and animal fur and all kinds of. Sh and then I then I even created my own cologne, like with you know with the Muslim oils. Uh -huh. I created this kind of fruity kind of pineapple, black coconut. So you were you were going to the Muslims and buying different oils and, and mixing, mixing them. And I had my own <laughs> cologne. Mister Nero, you are back for more. Back. I used to buy it, but and you know what's funny is it, this is a, a weird story. It's there was a chick who. Like I, like I literally was signing autographs. Like I couldn't, I, I was in the street signing autographs. Like I couldn't, if I went out on a date with a chick, people would be, like it was that big. I did Wendy Williams' birthday party. I did Whitney Houston's wow. bachelorette party when she married Bobby Brown. Wow. So, I mean, I was, it was huge. I literally, you know how you have uh, on radio, like Hot 97 or whatever, one of the, whatever, the, you'll have a bump. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, this is... Uh, this is um, Denzel Washington, and when I'm not acting, yeah. I listen. I had a I had a bump. It was hello, this is Prince Mandingo, and when I'm not taking it on, taking it off, I'm keeping my radio on Hot 90s or Kiss FM. I forget which one. Wow. I had a radio bump. So you had a following as a male oh, stripper. Oh, it was huge. It was huge. Now, did you only strip for women, or were there occasions you had to strip for men? I did two gay shows mm -hmm. they didn't like me because i wouldn't let them touch me like i like like this guy that, he dances great but a bad he, stripper. he keeps moving like he just keep, i just that, couldn't it's not a good stripper. yeah i couldn't do it so what i did was yeah. i started managing 
guys who would do the gay strippers. So now you're the artist and artist management. Right. And then you're I, also in the cologne business. Yeah. Well, yeah, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> costume I did, design. Yeah. Costume design. So you're you're you know, you're wearing many well, many I guess hats. not wearing. You're not yeah, wearing I'm not wearing many of anything, right? <laughs> um but I uh and then I started a group. This is all off of this fraternity show that went really well. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I mean, you didn't say that part because yeah. I cut you off. But yeah, I'm assuming it went. It, it went well. It, it was went a total pretty well. Bomb. And then I just, yeah. and I, um, and so did one of those stripper friends from your neighborhood hook get you into the business from that? There was a guy. One of the guys had a little spot down on Wall Street called Pinkies, and I used to dance there every Wednesday and Thursday for for in the financial district. Yeah, yeah. yeah like after work, kind is of it for high powered businesswomen? Just you know, working people, just working women. You know, uh, you know, clerks and some executives, a little bit of everything. You know, you, you usually hear with women, it's not so much about visual stuff, right? Like that's why a hot woman can up, wind up with an ugly guy. Well, you know? it, I think there's a sure it's 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 visual. I mean, because they want you to have a nice body and be good looking, but I think it goes it 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 supersedes that because it becomes about your swagger more than you know. I I knew a guy that was a guy a friend of mine by the name of Deepstroke. He looked like a piranha. He really was an ugly dude, <laughs> but he had so much confidence. Um, he didn't pull a lot of like American black girls, but foreign girls. Mm -hmm. he, you know, chicks from Brazil and Trinidad and stuff. He, they were like, he must, he thinks he's hot. Right. He must be hot. You know, it was that kind of thing. So, um, and I, I recruited guys and I had, I put a, I put a bunch of guys together as a group, and I called the group Wet Seduction. And then I had this idea. We, we would, we all had long Western black dusters made with mm -hmm. the logo on the back. And everybody had to have a black hat. It could be any black hat you want. Like, you could have your own self-expression. Were people going to Hasidic Williamsburg? Well, you, and could, you could wear a Hasidic hat if you wanted. But, some, you know, everything from a baseball cap to a cowboy hat. Okay. So, as long as it was black. And uh, I would have the guys. They weren't really big. Like, they were nobodies when mm -hmm. I met them. And they were my group. But what I would do is I was booked so heavily. I would have them come. They would meet here, and then we would all go to the shows together. Mm -hmm. And then I would have them oil up and put their jeans on, and, and, and I would have them carry me out above their head. Wow. Okay. So they would all, it would be 13. Were you oiled up, too? Yeah. Well, that must have been, you were slipping off. A little dangerous. A little but, dangerous. But uh, it was 13 <laughs> dudes. Yeah. So, and they would lay me on the floor, and they would just stand on the side, and everybody would be like, all the women okay. would be like, who the fuck? What are, what is what the fuck? And then we'd all get our shit together, put okay. our dusters on, and walk out. Yeah. So it was like it was a spectacle. This is a performance. This is like you, sure, you're sure. incorporating Vegas stuff. Into sure. The, yeah. And then what happened is they got they they would hand out their business cards, mm -hmm. and they would get work from my shows. Okay. And then everybody in the heyday, all of us were working. You became a pimp for other guys. Yeah. yeah. For women. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so, so they so started working. This was all going very well. There's like an Amway thing going on where yeah, the money's right, going right, up. Yeah, money. I was then we ha I had guys, separate guys, running each borough, and then each <laughs> guy would each guy would do a major show <laughs> once a month in a borough, uh -huh. and guys would get they would get small clubs and do two guys here, and and I would book guys. Like I'd book a guy for a hundred bucks, I'd give him fifty, I'd keep fifty, whatever. And guys would work in Queens and Bronx, Staten Island. They would be all over. Just everybody was this getting. This reminds me of like uh, Jay Z rap, <laughs> yeah, the was, different it, neighborhoods that sure, you controlled. Sure, you know, sure. And then um, it because at the time when I started getting in, there were producers. Uh -huh. 
And the producers would always shit on the the, the performers, kind of like comedy clubs. Mm -hmm. And I basically took over. I cut out the middleman because when you do these huge shows, you have to sell tickets. And we would go to the women's house to deliver the tickets. So you would go to somebody's house to deliver the ticket, and there'd be 20 women in there waiting to wow. get their ticket. Because they, they'd rather buy the tickets from the performers than buy from some fucking greasy dude. Yeah. You know? And so we literally put the, put the, I put the, the producers out of business. Wow. And it became this huge thing. Um, and then I got interested in, right around that time, Def Jam started happening. And I was also, I was doing underground pit fighting. I was, I was heavy into martial arts. Uh -huh. Because the reality is that when you have a business and it was, I mean, literally it was hundreds of thousands of dollars that were filtering in it. And right. you have to be willing to protect your interests. Yeah, I mean, Every, they, it's the different neighborhoods you control. Another sure, another sure. male stripper is going to come around trying to take sure, your hood. Sure, and we we would we would smash a dude in his face. Uh, so many questions. First of all, you have to look good to be a male stripper. Were sure. you worried doing this pit fighting that you might, you know? Yeah, I uh, I act. It's funny because I actually would jump. I always was into martial arts, and I was I would actually bounce around. These people talk about MMA for years. I would just go to a school and train for like two years, a year. Like I took judo for two years. I took taekwondo for a year. I took uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu for two, three years. I took wing chun. So I would just bounce around. And then I, would, I wanted to see if it worked. Mm -hmm. So I would fight dudes in the street. Like if a dude, I was at a point, like if a guy was out of pocket, I would be the first dude to fight. If a guy was, somebody was bullying somebody else, I would fight for him. Mm -hmm. And then somebody offered me money to fight uh, just fight dudes like underground and where people would bet. Yeah, and I got to the point where I really loved the contact and I loved to fight and stuff. So you're you're very physical. You're dancing. Oh, yeah. You're fighting. Right. You're, yeah. You're, yeah. You have to be in great shape. Yeah, dude. I knock dudes out in a g-string barefoot at clubs where a guy would think because you're stripping. You're a, you're you you know you're gay or he's I, a I punk. I would imagine this would be a huge YouTube video. Oh somebody. god! I, and I would <laughs> drop a dude. I would drop a dude right yeah. in, in the floor, like bang, like wow. So um, so I was doing that, and I and I went up to Uptown Comedy Club, which was where Kevin Kev dot com, mm -hmm. and those guys had their first sketch show mm -hmm. on BET, and uh, it was Flex Alexander, Rob McNaughty. Uh, Jim Brewer, mm -hmm. Deborah Harris from sure. Mad TV, Tracy Morgan was there, uh, Mike Epps, all in, of those in, guys. in East Harlem, right? Yeah, all yeah, of those right. guys were there. And so I decided, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna produce comedy in Brooklyn. I'm gonna go Def Jam goes to Brooklyn. So where does the comedy bug start then? Well, I always was interested in comedy. My dad he was a big Pryor fan, Cosby fan. Um, Did something spark it for you? Did you? I say always watched. Like I was a dude who watched Carson and watched the. So this was always part of the plan. Yeah, eventually. not really a part of the plan. I always wanted to do it, but I didn't think anybody would take me seriously because I was like the top male stripper. Well, what made you decide to produce it then? Because I wanted to be close to it. I loved it, and I yeah. wanted to be close to it. The, so I, I booked this my, just out of the blue one day. You're like, I should, I should produce. I was producing huge strip shows, yeah, and then I would book comics to open sometimes. Or I see. And, and how do they do in a strip show? A comic? They do great. You know, they do talk shit, just crowd work or People whatever. People aren't just anxious to see the stripper. Yeah, but the, you know, we would be getting ready, would be early, and then we would just 
you know, and then we bring the show on, and and that would be it. And then I would then we started doing after parties. So you have all these hot women, and then we have guys come in for the after party. Is there a kinship, by the way, between male and female strippers? Yes. Well, that's what ended up happening. The female strippers started to come out to see us, uh-huh. and that's my wife was. That's where I met my wife. So you were both strippers. Yes. Yeah. Wow, that must have been, you must have had a wild time. Oh, yeah. And she was, what happened with her was she was, she was a, at the time she was a full-fledged lesbian. She had a girlfriend. Really? Like, kind of like where, you know, two cute little petite girls and they dressed alike, like fatigue shorts and combat boots and Mm -hmm. wife beaters and mini skirts together. Just, and they brought me into their bedroom to spice up the bedroom. Wow. And I ended up. Fucking both you broke of them. it up. I ended up breaking it up, <laughs> and I ended up fucking them separately. And then um, I remember they they didn't really talk about it. Like they knew I was both fucking both of them, and mm. they wouldn't talk about it. And then they just kind of assumed that the uh, they they didn't really want to know that I was fucking both of them. And uh, they had a strip club that they both were, and they almost had a bottle fight in the club. Because they found out that I was sleeping with both of them, and there was like half the girls went with one side. It was the this is powerful stuff. You broke up lesbians. Yeah, I was a this I was is... a wild boy. I was a wild boy. This is wild. So so then, okay. So there's I mean this could really be a five hour interview. So sure. I, I'm gonna have to like yeah okay. pick and choose where I want. All right, okay. Because I I mean I really you know we should do like a you know yeah a we, series. We, we could do a series, a Dante series. <laughs> we could release a ten CD pack. Exactly. Well, that's why I'm writing the book. I'm writing yeah. the book. It but, has to uh, be a book. So I'll just just let me cover this. So mm-hmm. I started managing the strip club, and I, right around the time when Ron, Rudy Giuliani started doing that Rico law, where he was locking up all the people from South Street mm-hmm. Seaport, which is what got him as the attorney, hot attorney general, and helped him become mayor of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, he passed the vice law, and that's when we had that forty sixty law, where if you had any adult business, you also had to have a legitimate business. That's where you had strip clubs and and comedy clubs. Like there was the Gramercy. Remember the Gramercy had, mm-hmm. the, and um and I was fighting with these girls to not fuck in the club because Vice guys would come in like they would they would give you a lap dance in the corner and then just kind of pull their panties to the side and fuck you in the corner and they were tricking in the club and. Uh, I was always fighting with them. Stop fucking in the club. Stop fucking in the club. And then I just realized, well, they were fucking in the club. Why don't I just organize this uh-huh. and take it out of the club? And that's how I started pimping. So you did start officially pimping. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. I I had a I took those girls and I started a, a, a an escort service with okay. the girls from there. And I managed those girls for about seven years. That could years. be another five hours. That could be a five right? hour. That's yeah, a whole yeah. nother. But the philosophy of pimping, the philosophy of women, the philosophy of stripping is all the same. Mm-hmm. And um, how to manipulate a woman and how to, 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 you know, where she get her to the point where she wants to give all of herself to you is just as important in a in a in a square relationship. So so yeah. when you get a guy who is married, he's a good guy, loves his wife, loves his kids, but his wife is screaming on him constantly and treating him like a piece of shit. Right. I teach him how to have happiness in the context 
of a real relationship. You've taken your powers and used them for good. Now, Cat Williams, was he actually a pimp? I don't know. Because he know. calls himself a pimp. I don't think That's so. That's what I thought it was when you would say it. No, I don't, I don't think like, so. Like, you know, I, I you're, a pimp. you're a pimp, you're a pimp, I'm a pimp, we're yeah, all we're pimps. Yeah, we're pimps, we're pimping, you know, whatever. No, I was, I was getting you money. You were actually a I was pimp. getting money out of bitches' ass, so, yes. So, wait a minute. So, was there a moment when you said this is no good and, yeah. and I don't want to do this yeah, anymore? Yeah, I had a girl that did a... I had a bunch of girls that went to the Poconos and did. I sent a bunch of girls up to the Poconos for a bunch of drug dealers. And I was like, look, stay together. And there was this one girl uh, named Sugar who um, the, the lead dealer, the, the, the boss, mm -hmm. basically was like, why don't you stay with me? I'll pay you to stay. Were the other two girls named Spice and everything? It nice? was a but. Well, we had Spice. We had Heaven. A bunch of anyway, whatever. <laughs> anyway, go on. So, uh, she stayed with him, and he got drunk and passed out, and then she ended up getting raped by the whole gang with a broken Moet bottle to her throat. That's the poking us for. And she, she, uh, and she actually went. She went nuts. She went a little nuts. Yeah. And then I just, I was like, I, you know, there's a lot of evil out there. Sure. And and I didn't want to facilitate the evil anymore. And so what I did was I wouldn't even if people called me even for a stripper for a bachelor party, I wouldn't I wouldn't even recommend anybody. Like after I stopped, mm -hmm. I didn't I just didn't have the stomach for it anymore. And I it I must have really hurt you that this happened yeah, I mean, and you she felt was, responsible. She was a good girl. I mean, I cared about her and you know, it was just a fucked up situation and I was I didn't want to be the person who was gonna facilitate what, were that. there moments when you felt very guilty about it? It sounds like you internalized Not until it. then. At that point, no, I mean after that. Yeah, yeah, constantly, constantly, and that's why I, like, years later, if somebody said, "Couldn't you get me a stripper for my, for my bachelor?" I go, "Not nah, on." Are you anti-stripping now altogether? No, no, not at all. I mean, people do what they want to do. I mean, I just didn't want to be the person. You who, saw the really dark side of it, and that, and then you're sure, like, you're, and out. I just, I didn't want to be the person who facilitated that. That was just, I'm, I don't judge. I can't judge, dude. I, I was, you know, yeah. I was living with three girls. I was, I was, I was 19 years old. And I was living in an apartment with three girls, polyamorous, living with these three girls. That's, I mean, you've really qu lived quite an interesting yeah, life. Yeah, it's just you know? insane. Did you ever finish insane. college? No, I didn't get my degree. I, I'm, I'm probably maybe 10, 15 credits from getting my degree, but I just. So you, your stripping took off too big. And yeah, you, everything like, went, gotta... went nuts, and I, I worked with emotionally disturbed kids. I had a really good job with As emotionally. As a stripper? Well, while, when I was still in college. But you didn't strip for emotionally disturbed No, 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 no. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> that would be a very interesting therapy. <laughs> be, um, no, I didn't. <laughs> Did Let me check. Let me think about it. Did they wind up more emotionally disturbed at the end you know, of it or, or and less? And you know what's funny? We, you know, I know you, you. everybody was talking about the Cosby thing. And one of the things that I believe wholeheartedly is um, one of the biggest things about this thing, why they're so busy taking, you know, coming out against this dude is because he propped himself up as the moral compass. He's a huge hypocrite. Exactly. And yeah. that is what it is. So so I always say, I don't lie about anything. Mm -hmm. I was a pimp. I was a, I hustled. I, you know, you name it, I did it. Um, and I'm a better person now. So I don't want somebody to come back, you know, after I'm doing a kid show uh, on Nickelodeon. And right. then they go, you, whoa, you never told us. Nah, I told you. Isn't it interesting how people are more offended that they were lied to than the fact that all these women were uh, raped. We're, yeah, it's amazing. 
It's amazing. That people, that's how horrible lying is, right? If he had said, if he had really come clean and said, "Listen, I did these things. I'm sick," and people would give him, an, I believe people would give him another shot. I really think people would give him another shot. I think if he doesn't get locked up, people will give him another shot anyway. You're right because people don't. They're, people they're forgetful. Forget. They forget. Yeah, they go. Or, <laughs> or if he doesn't get locked up, they go. I don't know if it was really such a rape because I mean he's still performing. <laughs> right, right, right. And I got a great deal on these tickets. Exactly. And he's I mean, doing he's still that doing bit his, about making he, stuffing and everything. He's still and, doing his uh, his tour. So yeah, like people seven. are still going out to sure. see him. Sure. I think that's the testament of how immoral people are and how much they don't give a fuck about each other. Interesting. You know, more than anything. Well, um, yeah, well, you look at Michael Vick. He's sure. still playing. Sure. I mean, you know. <laughs> but he was punished by being put yeah, on the Jets. Yeah, he was punished and he came clean. He came clean and then whatever. And, they, and, and what are you going to do? You know, I mean, we all, like, if anybody can't, Judge him, I can't. <laughs> I know that I personally can't judge him. All so this you've shit. done some things that you're ashamed of. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I've hurt people, you know. Right. I've physically hurt people. I used to do collect money from people and, you know, break fingers and arms and jaws and shit like that. I was, you know, I mean, there was parts of my life where I was, in, I was a real animal, you know. Does it um, haunt you? No, I mean, you know, we, we I think... um I'm just trying to be the best person I can be now. I mean, I can't. I was young, and this is what happened. What do you do? You know? So this girl getting raped, this is the moment when you turned your your life around, you think? I, well, let me put it I stopped pimping. I mean, I still was fighting, gambling, and hustling, selling drugs and shit like that. I was, I was still doing all that. Mm -hmm. But I just was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not doing this. But it seems to me that you've cleaned up a lot. Sure, sure. I mean, sure. I mean we, we, you become wiser, and 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 you realize, I, and I don't believe in karma either. I believe in reaction, actions, and reactions. So, like for instance, you could sell drugs, right, and get away with it. The I problem, can't. well, but the problem happens when you sell drugs yeah. for your whole life. The probability of you eventually getting caught gets higher. So if you stop before you get caught, you can get away with it. So I don't believe in, you know, I believe that it's it's a matter of of probability, which in math and logic, as opposed to karmic, you know, being a karmatic kind of thing. So do you believe in a soul? Um, I don't know, dude. I'm I I'm, I consider myself pretty much an atheist now. I mean, I wasn't. I, I I grew up as a Catholic. I was a Catholic. I was an altar boy, you know. I I uh, I used to bring the, the 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 Eucharist up. The whole thing. I went, you know. Um, I went to Catholic school. I went to uh, Brooklyn Tech, and then I went to Bishop Lachlan High School. And so you were a real straight arrow kid. Um, I wouldn't say that. I would say I went to Catholic school. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I went there, but I never brought the stuff around my house. Yeah, and I. You know, I mean, I was a sh straight dude, and I was a light-skinned dude. With the, you know, in the black community, you're a light-skinned dude. You, you're not a tough dude. Really? I so thought... you, you got to make your bones. So you're looked down to, upon for being light-skinned? Yeah, you're a light-skinned dude. They don't perceive you as being a a, a, a rough dude. Mm. So you got to knock, you got to crack a couple jaws to, I mean, I know, I know that was how it was in the 80s and the 90s. You know? it's, it's interesting because you identify yourself on, the, on your podcast as beige and not black. Right. But in your mind, are you black? Yeah. But you're saying black people don't treat you as as being as black as them because you're light skinned. 
I don't it's know. It's gotta if that, be an interest. It's gotta yeah, be a tough yes, place to I would, be. Yeah, I get. I still get that. People, black people, still do that. They do that every once in a while. You know, they'll make a joke. In fact, today, so I was at, you know, I was hanging out with a couple of my friends, and they were like, and I was like, wow, it's only one white guy here, and they were going, oh, no, it's two white guys here, and they were like, me and the white guy. That's got to be hurtful. I, you know what? That's, that's saying you're not one of us, even if it's a joke. That's Danny. You know me. what? Here's here's where I'm at right now. Um, why it's not hurtful? I think when you become really self introspective about who you are, what you are, what you represent. Um, and you're aware of your weaknesses and your strengths. Nobody can tell you anything uh, about who you are because you already know. I don't believe people, most people are not really malicious. They're just, there's an insecurity and a fear about themselves to be exposed. And so they expose other people to, to, to cover that up. And that really doesn't bother me. And that's a crazy it's it's a weird thing. It's like I, I love my mom and I and she's she, you know I was she was a good mom, but she also was a kind of a shitty mom because she loved my sisters better than me, mm. and it was obvious. You know how you say supposed to all love all your kids, but it was so blatant and so obvious, right? Um, so, and now that my mom is older, it's so it's really really blatant because she's old and she just doesn't give a fuck. Right. So now she just says, I love your sisters more. No, she just, but it's just obvious. Okay. Like, I'll be like, hey, mom, you want to go to lunch? And she'll be like, no, nah, I don't feel like going. And my sister will come and she'll just, let's go to lunch. And she'll leave with them. Right. And I'll be, so, um, like, my sister will travel. My sister's job helps her travel. She has to travel. Mm -hmm. But I, I was in a major film. Like, I'm, I was just on blacklist for four episodes. My mom didn't watch any one of those episodes. And then four days later, she goes, did your thing come on TV or not? And I go, really? Really? Four days later? you're at, Which tells me that infers that you didn't watch it, mm -hmm. that you didn't give a fuck about watching it, that you didn't even know that it came on. And when the day that it came on, when I told you it was coming on. So did it bother her that you were a stripper? Um, it did until I was famous. Then she used to say, oh, my son's Mandingo. Do you think you did it for her, to get her attention for a while? No, no. I didn't. No, not at you all. You weren't trying to say, hey, mom, you know, you pay nah, attention to me. It just kind of fell into the thing. And I kind of was a guy who always did my own thing. I think what's weird is um, is it's funny now. Like, I've had this conversation with her. And I was, you know, I was, I, we were talking about how she blatantly plays favoritism. And I was like, I want you to understand. I told my mom, I want you to understand that I don't give a fuck about what you think about me. And she, she's, I said, because... You like my sister, and my sister's a cunt. So you're not. Uh, all right. Well, you're, you're not a good joy, judge of character. Mm -hmm. So I think when you, whenever you, you know, like when you ask me, does it hurt when somebody's not inclusive or something? You, I think you, whenever somebody is critiquing, criticizing you, you have to look at the source. And when you look at the source, you have to say, do I respect this person? Are, are they really somebody who has accomplished things that they even have the, the, the right to judge me? And if they don't, then why does what they say matters? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So in the context of that, my mother's not a great judge of character. I think your mom's a bad example because I'm sure you do care what your mom thinks. I care. I mean, a, it comes a, through in your voice. Like, but, but, but we deal with as men we deal with what it is and rather than uh sit around and mope 
about things that we don't have any control over. My mom's 80 years old. It's just not going to change. And I believe, I also understand it too. I am super independent. I've always been in, I've always did my own thing. And I don't allow her to be a mother mm. because I didn't really have any need for her. You had a very old father, if I remember correctly. Yeah, my pops, right? was, my pops had me when he was 51 years old. Yeah. And I remember he, that from your early stand-up. I yeah, think. yeah. And he, was, uh, and he was jealous of me. But he was one of 16. He was the youngest boy of 16. And so in the context Where, of... Where did he come from? He was, uh, he was born in Harlem. Oh. He was born in Harlem. Local kid. Yeah. Okay. But, my, but my grandfather was from Antigua. And my grandmother was from Boston. She's half white, half black. Uh-huh. She grew up in orphanages because she was a mixed kid. That's how you wound up light-skinned. Yeah. yeah. It's all her fault. Yeah. And what about your mom? And my mom, my mom is part uh, Sioux, Native American Sioux tribe, uh-huh. and part black African American. But you, she's she's from a slave town. Like the, all the people in the town are very light-skinned because of the you know, I feel like America owes you a huge apology. <laughs> Big hug. I, you listen. I, I feel like I've, I've got my share. I have definitely got my share of it. You know, if if you want America, if you want to make it right with anybody, here's Dante. <laughs> but I mean, I think you 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 know, when you start really start to be introspective, you stop worrying about what people think, mm-hmm. because you gotta you gotta go. I mean, how many people? In your life, I mean, just if you think about people that you do, you really respect and love and believe that they have a good heart. Where if they crit- criticize you, it wouldn't be a criticism; it would be a critique. Where somebody really has your genuine best interests at hand. How many people do that? Not many. So the criticisms that people give you, it's 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 who gives a fuck? You're nobody. You're not. You you haven't lived my life. You haven't done the things that I've done. You won't do the things that I've done. And I don't really respect, not that 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 makes me better, but in the context of somebody criticizing you. Intellectually, your argument is flawless. Right. But you're discounting something called emotion and feelings. Sure, sure, sure. Which I also think in my friendship with you, you're not a guy who often likes to feel his feelings out loud, you know? I don't know about that. I, I think it is, do do I wish that my mother loved me like that and my father? Yeah, absolutely. But that's not going to happen. So the question is, where do we go from there? Right. You know, where, what do I do? Not do comedy? Do I not? Do I not act? Do I not do a movie? Do I not? You got to yeah. keep moving forward, otherwise sure. you're going to be that guy who's just complaining about his parents exactly. forever and not and I getting think on that, with your life. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think people get. I mean, we all have our our crosses to bear as far as our parents are concerned because mm-hmm. most of them were fucked up because you know that we didn't. I mean, you know, my father was born nineteen nineteen fifteen, mm-hmm. so we're talking about a, a time when. Uh, no, God, they didn't, nobody went to therapy. I mean, he was a great provider. He was a great provider. Well, but he's he, still, he's not still. No, he passed away. He passed away. About, he's, it's about five years now. He's passed I'm away. I'm sorry. I didn't know. Yeah. Didn't know. It's fine. Last, I mean, last time we spoke he, about him, he was alive. Yeah. And it was, a, it was, and he was an awesome dude. They named a block, they named the street after him That's and a cool. park because he was such an awesome what dude. What about his, he came from 16. Any of the other 16 have a street or a park named after him? None of them. None All of right. None of them. The he best did his one. thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. and, but I mean, a lot of that had to do with he spent so much time taking care of other kids that he didn't take care of me. That's the other part of it. But doesn't it doesn't negate how extraordinary he was to Dude, the public? Having you at fifty-one years old, yeah, 
That is impressive. Just but a, he was he it's was exhausting to he be was a, a parent. Yeah, but he I was imagine. a phenomenal physical specimen. I didn't beat him running until he was sixty six. Okay. Like I couldn't beat him running until he wow. was sixty six so years you, old. Like eighteen or something. Like something six, like that. Yeah. Eight. Like it was. It is an extraordinary, you know, physical specimen. Fifteen. I remember when I beat him running the first time I beat him running. I mean, like like he was. Extraordinary. He was a little dude too, but he was just extraordinary dude. Wow. But um, you know, and I, and I mean, so I mean, I, I got good genes. I come from good stock. I was provided for. I never was hungry. Um, my pops didn't gamble. He didn't. Uh, he was a bit of a hoe. Mm-hmm. I mean, he definitely banged down the pu- the punas you, as much as possible. You, you're a guy who has great insight into the female brain. Sure. Would you see yourself getting remarried? I would. You know? I would if if, if uh. Well, you know, one of the one of the things that I say, uh, I think I have a problem with women a lot is they feel a level of entitlement mm-hmm. about marriage. I've been with you this long. I should be married. But what you don't understand, what women don't understand is guys will marry you if you make them want to marry you. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Instead of bitching about I, I've been with you this long. Be the woman that supports your man and says, "Wow, you like watch you on Danny. I watch you on stage, and you're so amazing. You're so funny, and you're so amazing. And 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 be the person who appreciates things, even after we've been together three, five, five, ten years. Appreciate uh, appreciate the things that I don't. Don't take those things for granted. Right. And the guy will get you the ring. The problem is that women, there's a level of entitlement where they feel like they they deserve the ring." When they don't deserve the ring, which is why in my podcast I say B A B B, be a better bitch, be mm-hmm. a better bitch, and I'll marry you. But you're not going to force me. So you haven't found that better bitch yet. No, I mean nobody makes me go. I should get this chick a ring. Never. See, that's why they pressure you to get the ring. And that that's, might be. You just argued their argument. <laughs> and that might be the case. The point is, be look. I understand. Here's an interesting thing. When. My marriage was breaking up, and we went to counseling, which is the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. I'll, but I will, we'll have to talk about that another time. But I said that my wife very rarely, she, she doesn't know me. She doesn't know what makes me happy. Mm-hmm. And he says, I want you to, I had moved out of the house. He says, the, 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 the counselor goes, I want you to, we need to get you back in the house. And I go, there's no way I'm moving back in the house. Nothing is different. Nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. She does nothing, right? Yeah. And I go, and uh, she says, well, okay. To my ex-wife, he goes, I want you to do five things that he likes you to do. And she goes, okay, what do you want me to do? And I go, I'm not telling you. what. Like you, We've been together mm-hmm. six years. This is when we first started having problems. You don't know five things that make me happy? Because I know 40 that make you happy. I know what kind of shoes you like. I know your bra size. I know your panty size. I know what kind of shoes, clothes you have. I know what kind of jewelry you like. I know what foods you like. I know what television shows you like. I know what movies you like. I know it because I know how to make you happy. Why don't you know how to make me happy? So what happens, I think, a lot of times women are trying to sell men what they want to sell them instead of what I want to buy. If I want a SUV, you can't sell me a smart car. Mm-hmm. Like that's not what I want. If you so if you want and you could still be in the context of you being what you want to be in terms of you know your goals because I'm gonna be what I want to be in terms of my goals. But you need to take care of my needs like I'm willing to take care of your. It needs. also sounds like you are unwilling to compromise though. Uh, certain things I'm not because mm-hmm. I'm willing. I'm an awesome boyfriend. 
I'm an awesome. I'm a dude that can go in, pick my girl's clothes out, uh-huh. pick her an outfit out that she would love better than the stuff that she picks out herself. So if I'm tapping into what your needs are, <laughs> at least you could do is make me a turkey sandwich and know how much mayo I want it. You know what I'm saying? So, or if I'm the guy who pays for everything and does everything and listens to your fucking goofy stories yeah. and listens to your horse shit when you think it's important, calms you down and keeps you away, helps you move forward, then if I leave my drawers on uh-huh. the floor, shut the fuck up and pick them up. <laughs> I think that's fair. Right? I would have loved to have sat into these counseling <laughs> sessions. All right, all right. Let's do this. <laughs> let's, let's jump into the philosophy here. Um, let's see if Alex uh, picks somebody that makes sense for you. Well, this is okay. part of the fun of it. Does he know me? He, it's up to him to have looked it up. Okay. Uh, it seems like Alex is right where we're at okay. with who we picked because he says Dante has a relationship show, and this is exactly what we're on. He goes... Here's a philosopher of social relationships. Okay, let's do it. So now we're going to be talking about the other kind of relationships. I mean, there's probably quite a lot in common, I would imagine, between social relationships. Sure, they're almost exactly the same. Aren't all relationships social? Yes. Yes. I think they're all social. So we're going to talk relationships. The guy's name is George Simmel, and the George doesn't have an E, so I don't know if that's a different pronunciation. George George? George. George. Let's, let's go with the philosophy. Simmel. His name, he lived from March 1st, 1858 to September 28th, 1918. Wow, that's interesting. Your dad was three when he died. Three, yeah. Uh, he was a German philosopher, so now I'm thinking it's more like, George. <laughs> George Simmel. Hi. He was a German sociologist, philosopher, and critic. Simmel was one of the first generation of German sociologists. His neo- Kantian, his Neo-Kantian approach, let's see what Neo-Kantian is real quick. Neo-Kantian <laughs> refers broadly to a revived type of philosophy along the lines of that laid down by Immanuel Kant, who we've talked about on this show uh, quite a few times now, in the 18th century, or more sp- specifically by Schopenhauer's criticism of the Kantian philosophy in his work, The World as Will and, Rep- and Representation in 1818, as well as by other post-Kantian philosophers. So not, Neo-Kantianism, the Kant is from the name Immanuel Kant. Okay. And, and it seems he was. A critic, it seems critical of, of, of Kantian philosophy. Okay. That's the Neo part. So, okay, cool. So going back, uh, his Neo-Kantian approach laid the foundations for sociological anti... Here's another word I don't know. Anti-positivism. Wow. Anti-positivism. This is the part of the fun of this show. Is, Let me, is, I'll look that up while you keep reading. I'll look up anti-positivism. It's anti-positivism. I feel like it's just somebody who's negative all the time. Yeah. Uh, asking, what is society? In a direct allusion to Kant's question, what is nature? Present, uh, presenting pioneering analysis of social individuality and fragmentation. I have anti-positivism. It's... Uh, Science, the social realm, may not be subject to the same methods of investigation as the natural world. That academics must reject um, in the conduct of social research. Holds that researchers should focus on and understand the interpretations that social actions have for people being studied. Okay, so it's the relevancy of what people, their actions, in terms of who they are. Okay. 
That makes sense. Okay. It seems like a good... Uh, I don't know how that's uh, anti-positivism, but whatever. Okay. I just like to be a negative. <laughs> it's like a fancy way of saying it. Um, for simul, cultural referred to the cultivation of individuals through the agency of external forms which have been objectified in the course of history. I'll have to let that one sit with me for a minute. Mm. Simul discussed social and cultural phenomena in terms of quote-unquote forms and quote-unquote contents. With a transient relationship, form becoming content and vice versa, dependent on the context. Now, if none of this makes any sense right now, it doesn't, we'll, we'll, it doesn't to me either. Okay. So we'll try and figure all this out. In the sense that he was a forerunner to structuralist styles of reasoning in the social sciences. With his work on the metropolis, Simmel was a precursor of urban sociology, symbolic interrationalism, and social network analysis. I don't think that has to do with Facebook. No, social, I don't think so either. Social network analysis. I think they should put a new button called dislike. <laughs> I <laughs> good, think so, too. That's good social network analysis. Here's a synopsis. Basically, Simmel speaks of a dyad, which is two people, often in a romantic relationship, and a triad. I think you've been in a few triads. <laughs> <laughs> I like triads. <laughs> Your first triad, you were what? I was 18. 18. Um, three often... <laughs> Your first triad, you were 18. Three often a family. Often a family. That's sisters. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. I'm, I'm, I'm good so far. Each person in a dyad can maintain their individuality because there is no other person on their side to take their voice. So that's in a romantic relationship between two people. That's true, because nobody could team up. Okay. Okay, so you have two people. I have my point of view. You have your point of view. Right. Okay. And, and there's nobody else back nobody in one person. Nobody else back in one person. In a triad, a dyad can form within. That's so, when you were with those two girls, uh, and you broke one away. Right. The, the lesbians and she was like, I agree with you that you two should leave. <laughs> you just took that triad and right. you made it a dyad. Well, well I guess what they're saying, in th when it's three people, one per you have two voices and one person can side with one side or the other side. He's saying three's company. Yeah, I guess. Ah. Jack Tripper. Um, so with a dyad can form within and so on. As the group gets bigger. Mm -hmm. This has positives and negatives. On the one hand, in a big group, like government, it's harder to exert unjust control on an sure, individual. Sure. That's why we have the electoral college. You have senators and three branches. The bigger the group, the more you have. You have more people with more opinions and sides and, right. and give you different points of views. Otherwise, you got a dictatorship right before you know of, it. This yeah. is actually kind of easy, bro. I'm, I think we're doing pretty good yeah. with this. <laughs> yeah. Um, leading to secrecy. However, as the group gets bigger, the individual can lose his voice by sheer math. Therefore, to cope with being part of such a large group, they must become part of a smaller group, such as a relationship or family. Okay, so well, I guess what the, that's why you have the two political parties. Right. So as the groups get larger, there's so many dissident voices that they become groups so that they all kind of uh, agree on certain things. And it also makes me feel like I'm right when I feel like we live in a one-party system, which I always, I've, I've said many sure, times, sure. you know, if you have two choices, you really have one choice. You really have one. And uh, the it's, one that you like it, is the one that fits with you. You don't, it's not like you have, okay, I like this and this one. Mm -hmm. 
and then it's it's one that goes against and one that goes for. It's like when George Carlin, you you remember George Carlin once sure. did my old podcast, and and he was yeah, yeah. he was saying, "Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? How uh, there's only two choices for president, but when you go to the supermarket, there's eighty different kinds of mustard. Sure, you know, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's really one big group, which sure. is Washington, the way I see it. Yeah. And then you have these sub little things within Washington, but they're really all the same. They're all the same crap. Fair enough. Ideally, I would say you should have Washington D.C. and three other capitals, right? Okay. And then, and then each one of them has their own philosophy, and let's see which which capital gets elected. Shouldn't just be. But isn't he saying that ultimately the bigger the group gets, the smaller the the the, the smaller the group gets by by the groups that form within that group. I think so, yeah. That's what. So even if you get three different capitals, then now you have a diode or you have a triad yeah, where you, you're right. it's, 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 it's the no same thing. To... So that then do you have this guy, this guy, and the third guy either confirms or validates one aspect or not? Damn it, it all falls apart so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, either way, you're going to get ruled by the same, Absolutely. The same people. Uh, all right. Well, here's a paragraph uh, written by George Simmel. George, George Simmel. George Simmel. Every social occurrence as such consists of an interaction between individuals. So basically everything social that happens has to do with two people interacting. Sure. In other words, each individual is at the same time an active and passive agent in a transaction. In case of superiority and inferiority. However, the relation assumes the appearance of a one-sided operation. The one party appears to exert, while the other seems merely to receive an influence. That makes sense. Such, however, is not in fact the case. No one would give himself the trouble to gain or maintain superiority if it afforded him no advantage or enjoyment. This return to the superior can be derived from the relation. However, only by virtue of the fact that there is a reciprocal action of the inferior upon the superior. Oh, I guess, I guess, uh, I guess, I guess in awe, like if you're, you know, if you're, you become, you, you're talking as a debate, it becomes a monologue, but it, 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 also it strokes your ego that it becomes a monologue and that this the inferior is in awe of you so it strokes your ego yeah i'm trying to understand what he's saying as a whole though but i i, I think that's what it is he's, he's saying isn't he saying the reciprocal action it's got it there has to it, something has to be derived from it they say it in the first sentence mm. but what what is the reciprocal I mean, the reciprocal is there as a level of control, but what does he get back? He gets validation right. from, the, from the inferior. Yeah. So, what, so I guess the, the whole point he's trying to make is it has to do with social occurrences, basically uh, having some kind of... Uh, uh, every social occurrence... I could put some it in kind a, of an exchange. Look, there's either a pimp or the hoe. That's what it is. It's the pimp or the hoe. You either the pimp or the hoe. <laughs> makes it actually makes a lot <laughs> more sense like that. Sense. Right. 
But what about, and then every now and then the hoe becomes the pimp, which is what happened with you. And sure. you went from being the stripper right. to running the strip show. Exactly, exactly. And and you wouldn't have done it had there been no advantage. Right. You wouldn't but have there gone wasn't to, You wouldn't have gone to the trouble to maintain superiority. If I wasn't getting that uh, paper. <laughs> learning how to fight strong and, yeah. and, and control the neighborhood. Absolutely. If, they, if there's, It's a lot of pain in the ass for nothing. You wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it. Um, and that last line... Is that reciprocal action of the inferior upon the uh, uh, superior only by virtue of the fact that there is a reciprocal action of the inferior? So there's a mutual benefit, even if that even if that benefit is the the, the benefit is symbiotic, even though that there is a right. whatever that is, it 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 could be the. Um, you know, it could be the validation from the inferior, or it could be the uh, the direction or the guidance from the from the superior. Very yes. So it has to be. There has to be uh, a transaction being made. Yeah. Both parties have to get something out of it. Sure. So I guess he's saying either it's a conversation where both people are getting something out of it, or one person's preaching, the other person's just taking it, and therefore. Right. The person and preaching is receipt. getting they something out of it, it yeah. and the person receiving it is getting that something out of it, new knowledge, etc. Well, here's what I always say is a philosophy that I always say is in even in generosity is selfishness. So as we give, to ch charitably we give, we get to look in the mirror and go, wow, I'm a great guy. Absolutely. It feels great to give. Yeah, sure. I mean, but, so is is the giving really... Is it really generous? I, I've not or only have, do I agree with this, but I've said in the past, you know, the old saying, "Tis better to give than to receive." Yeah, that saying is completely flawed because in giving you are receiving. It's always better to receive. Right, right, uh, right, and the, right. I guess yeah. It's a stupid it's, Christmas saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jews, so you receive. The Jews don't believe in that. Right. <laughs> That's why they don't have Christmas. Is <laughs> tis not better to give than to it receive? It is better to receive because. You, it is better to receive by giving. Right. And then you get both. Yeah. So you should really say, it is better to do both. Right. It is right. better to give or receive. Or you could say, it's just, better to give. Just, 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 but it's better to receive. It's better to, right. Through, through giving. Yeah, I guess so. If you give, you receive, yeah. and you give. I guess it's, the, the saying should be, it is better to receive through giving than receive through receiving. I like this. Give some <laughs> shit up. <laughs> Give somebody something. <laughs> Stop being cheap. Give somebody something. You'll feel better and you'll give somebody some yeah, shit. It does feel good. Except when you have an STD. I heard, a, I heard a rabbi say, and I don't know if it's just a Jewish idea or, or you might have heard it as a Christian idea or something too, but um, when you leave the world, you know, you leave with nothing. Mm -hmm. It's the only thing you can take with you. To the next world, this assuming that there is a next world, the only thing that you'd be able to take with you is your charity, is the things that you gave. So the Unless more you give in this world, the more you can take. Now, that might just be a tricky, sneaky way to get people to give a lot more well, stuff. I would think that. <laughs> but I like it. I like it as a... I like it as a, as a mantra. I like it as kind of like a... I don't, you know, I don't believe in an afterlife... I don't believe in that stuff. I mean, I I I I'm officially an atheist mm -hmm. now. Um, I just think um, I just can't believe in clouds and you know some dude that's listening to everything. I I just can't do it. Really? Uh, I can't. You know, I mean the, the Noah's Ark, all of that. I just can't. 
it's just absurd uh but uh you know i i i don't know if i'm i'm really truly an atheist because i don't know so i guess i'm more agnostic, more agnostic. than anything i i don't know but i what what they're preaching just don't make sense to me yeah put it to put it to like that but i mean i i think um i i think to 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 pursue happiness and i don't think you cannot give and be happy I think you're never gonna be happy until right. you give, and I just I used to say this to, to I used to say this to Patrice all the time. I go, you're not going to, you're not truly a man until you start making sacrifices for other people. Mm-hmm. And so when he's when he started raising Vaughn's daughter, was when him he developed as a man. It's when his perspectives change. When you have that kind of love for something or for someone mm-hmm. who cannot give you back what you give them. It's it's almost what you're talking about. It's this reciprocated social dynamic, but yeah. it's a different social dynamic. That's you know? why being a parent, I think, makes no sense to anyone but parents. Sure, sure. Like, like, it, so you know it, logically, it makes no sense. You're yeah, just, but you know what? You, you have that same thing with a pet. Yeah, you you have a dog. Like you had, all, I mean, you, do you still have your dogs or no? Yeah, I got them. But like, I love my you, dogs. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's but the they same. give back. They lick my feet. Sure, but kids, <laughs> kids go. I love you, daddy. They don't lick me. your feet. Yeah, no, they don't lick your feet. Well, <laughs> I don't think anybody should be licking your feet though. <laughs> Not even dogs. The dogs are probably like, yeah, this is ridiculous, daddy. But uh, <laughs> they gotta get fed, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. But is there more or no? Uh, yeah, so we have uh, we have a few quotes here, and uh, I always ask the guests to read the quotes, and then we we'll discuss them one by one. Okay. Uh, the first one is, all relationships of people to each other rest as a matter of course upon the precondition that they know something about each other. Okay, so let me read that again. All relationships of people to each other rest as a matter of course upon the precondition that they know something about each other. I think that is what you were saying was what broke up your marriage. When she was pretending she didn't know anything about you. Tell me five things that make you happy. And she has no idea. All relationships rest on you got to know about you got to know person. you got to know me. That's that, what the relationships are based on me knowing things about you. Yeah. Uh me and me and P used to always say um in order to be friends, you got I got to know some horrific shit about you. And you got to know some horrific shit about me. And that in that lies the that if I tell your shit, you're destroyed. <laughs> and I'm destroyed if I tell you. I so don't we, agree that so that. We, we both <laughs> shut the fuck up. That's and a keep paranoid friendship. We, we keep each other's secrets. I, but we tell each other our secrets in the context of the friendship. I completely understand it. Sure. I don't know if it's necessary to have a good no, friendship. No, no, no. But, it's kind of like having some. Let's just not let's not forget Patrice was out of his fucking mind, too. So let's, he was paranoid. <laughs> out of his fucking mind. <laughs> That's like so, having some some <laughs> ransom. Or yeah, let's like, so He goes, look, you got to kill him. And I want to watch. And I'm like, only if you kill your your body first. All right, let's do it together on three. All right, that, all right we got it, yeah. though. All right. all right, here's the second one. Um, every relationship between two individuals or two groups will be characterized by the ratio of secrecy that is involved in <laughs> that is exactly what we just said i gotta know some dirty shit if i know your dark secrets and you know mine let's not forget that this is a german philosopher okay fair enough fair enough <laughs> nine <laughs> there is the bodies 
Like, dude, why yeah. do you have all these lampshades in your basement? That's weird. <laughs> I got to know some dirty stuff about you. Right. But it's funny, like, my girlfriend and my brother's girlfriend were yeah. trying to connect. And my girlfriend said, here, let me tell you this embarrassing story about myself. And she told her. Uh-huh. And my brother's girlfriend said, uh, oh, cool. And she says, well, you have to tell me one. <laughs> and then she, she's like, oh, I don't really have one. And they never, and they, they, never they still have not connected. Right. Like, what do and you mean you don't have not, one? Yeah, you got Everybody's someone. got at least one embarrassing yeah, story, right? right. You should, but that's totally that. Did you shit that. your pants? Did you shit your pants at least? Come on. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I am without flaw. Yeah, right. All right, so, here's the last right. one. Okay. Every it could, it could, uh, let me just say, it could still happen. It they, could, they could still wind up being probably friends. not though. I don't know. Here's here's what's interesting about that. I have a philosophy about that, and and it, I use it on on stage constantly. Mm-hmm. The your truth and your honesty forces people to be truthful and honest. So what I find is, as I am so open on stage about my truths and what I am, and not ashamed to mm-hmm. say the things that that I you know in my life that I've done that are really awful. What I find is the audience, it's almost like I go, hey, uh, this is not true, but I was like, I was raped uh, by my uncle. And you go, oh, sorry, you, you Dante, that's, sorry, that's, that's it. That stinks. You got to go, you have to go, well, man, I, I mean, I was never raped, but like I... Uh, like I, uh, you gotta give me one. I like, didn't get you, it right you, at you, all. Right, right. You gotta, you, you gotta give me Sucks one. Sucks to be you, Dante. Right. That you can't go. That's fucked up. Yeah. All right. You guys, you ready to go eat? <laughs> you, you were looking for empathy and compassion. Right. Right. And right. I was just like, ooh, well. But this the, conversation's oh. over. <laughs> it's getting awkward. I'll see you later. But not giving that honesty is what mm-hmm. was why uh, your brother's girlfriend and they're never gonna be but close. That's why they haven't connected yet. It's, it's never gonna happen. She's also young, and. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of time. Well, ahead. here's the other thing. There's a resentment when I give you my secret and uh-huh. you don't give me yours. Uh-huh. Then it's like, fuck you. It's, you an, know? it's an uneven yeah. transaction sure. socially. Wow. All right, here's the last one. Every relationship between persons causes a picture of each to take form in the mind of the other. Yes, I sure. agree with that 100%. Because sure. it's very interesting... Um, when I think about that, I think about celebrity. And when you you feel like you know a celebrity, yeah. you hear them, you've got all these pictures of their life in your head. Right. They've their memories, their right. you know, you hear an interview with Dante the people that listen to your show. Right. They feel like you know them. Yeah, they know. They you, feel right. like they know you, but sure. you don't know them at all. Right. That's an uneven But they know you social they know, relationship. They feel that they know you in every way. Right. And they and you find that even when they tweet at you, and they, it's the the, the fil- familiarity in which they speak to you is weird. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, Absolutely. It's like, I don't know this person, and they're talking to me. But I'm. But on the other hand, it's a little bit flattering because the sure, closer sure. they feel to you, the more you feel maybe I'm doing something good. You know? Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. the the fact that they can they feel that kind of openness and that closeness, and they you know willing to tell you, you know tell you their deepest fears and can help me with this you know mm-hmm. can you help me my i'm in this marriage and it's horrible please help me i so. love the way it's very visual in this quote that you're creating pictures is that what he sure. said painting yeah. pictures or creating you're pictures creating pictures yeah in somebody's mind it's very true you know we're all really we we've, we've talked about on my podcast we talked because you know my i'm a little my my fashion sense is a little elaborate and mm-hmm. i have a blue 
for a coat, right? <laughs> a little elaborate. It was a little elaborate. Like uh, you said earlier, you've always had your own style. I've always had my style. And I have this blue fur coat, and I've actually had um, I think dudes. that's mandatory when you're a pimp yeah, or a you got to have pimp. a couple fur coats. you got to yeah. have them. Okay. Uh, you've had dudes what? I'm sorry. I've had dudes actually do artwork where they draw me <laughs> in the blue fur coat like I'm trying to find it right now on my phone but I love it it's uh you know it's it's weird cuz they they like this is this is how they perceive well this is a purple one but, <laughs> but they <laughs> you see that this is their you, now what are they now, you know what this picture this looks like when Shaq played a genie <laughs> what was that yeah, Shazam Shazam that's that's how yeah. they made you look in the picture. But it's it's a pur purple coat and there's, yeah. I'm holding a, a pimp the, the cup. The pimp cup, sure. And there's women's hands of every. There's a, a yellow one, which I guess she's Asian. <laughs> there's a black girl and a white girl, and they're all stroking my fur coat. <laughs> It's so, a funny picture, right? So, but like some, you put that image in someone's head, yeah, and, and now they, they put and it they, out there and they for everybody. I got to draw this, yeah, and kind of awesome, yeah, yeah, it yeah, is yeah. kind of awesome. <laughs> it is pretty awesome. And I'm in a throne. I've got to hide it out yet. You got to print that and yeah, frame it I and should, put it in here. I got a high chair, like a throne that yeah. I'm sitting on, and they, and I'm just. Sipping in a jeweled pimp cup you with need women's hands. You handle. need to go to a thrift shop and get one of those old timey gold frames <laughs> and, put, and it put it in that, and uh, you know, with the patterns on the frame. You know, it's, it's crazy. I have a, I have a, 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 a picture that one of the fans when I was stripping. Mm -hmm. um, actually, it was a chick that I was dating, and she had she, she had a picture painted of me. She had a picture painted of me in my costume on a throne with women around me like it's like four women one at my two at my feet one behind my two behind my chair and uh -huh. one on the side and she kind of looks really like this is some bullshit her, it's her in there yeah and she looks like this is some bullshit yeah <laughs> <laughs> i wish these bitches would leave you still get recognized ever as uh from your stripping days sometimes especially on facebook yeah yeah, on Facebook, I, I get some stuff like that. Now, anyway. you once told me the amount of women that you'd been with, and it was some crazy number. Well, I I don't really know. Um, let me say that I, when I kept count, mm -hmm. I, like I used to keep count. I stopped keeping count at when I was 32 was the last time I took count. And at 32, it was about 1,400. It's a, wow, that's insane. <laughs> And I'm, it's not something I'm necessarily proud of. It's, it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's, but it was also... It probably puts you in a very select group of people. Who well, it, it's also because of, you know, the field of work that I was in and the availability. Of course, yeah. My own availability and, and you know, the context of my availability. Also impressive and, that you kept account going for that long. Yeah, yeah. And then I just, after that, I didn't... Now, I have, I have friends who stripped with me who are way over 3,500. Was the count written in Roman numerals? <laughs> I just, I actually had a book. <laughs> Etched into a it's wall. Funny, I had a book. I actually had a book that I used to keep. You did? Yeah. Because you I, can't keep that in your head all the time. You're going to get. Yeah. So I don't, you, did you have like names and stuff in the book? or? You yeah, just, I did. Yeah? I did. And then. Uh, all ethnicities, I'm assuming, as yeah, well? Yeah. Yeah. Were the, can, you, can you now look back and, and say different ethnicities uh, you could categorize? Uh, this ethnicity, they're better in bed. This ethnicity, no. this. So there's not. You haven't been able to do any kind of uh, social studies of uh, of different uh, races or ethnicities in terms of um, intimacy. His, his was crazy. I don't. I feel like 
all women are the same. <laughs> I mean, I to say that. I mean, I, I know that's and harsh. That's they're all the same. All they're all the same. Women oh, are put the it this, same. They, uh, I think go. there's there's fundamental things that they're all the same, and they all <laughs> think that they're superbly different, uh-huh. and they all do the same shit. They it's all do the same shit. I'm, if if you act like a bitch, they will treat you like a pussy. How many times have you been in love? Um, probably a lot. Uh, I mean, I, 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 um, like you were really in love a, a lot of times. I mean, I was, it was not easy and not hard for me to fall in love. Like I falling in love or falling in lust. No, man, in love. Like I there was things about them. I liked very specifically. Like I can remember faces. I can see faces of people that I was really in love with. Um, uh, now here's the. Here's the problem. Um, <laughs> funny is, I was like, oh, I was with this girl for 10 years. I was this girl for eight years. I was with this girl for three years. I was with this girl for 12 years. And then, then when the women start adding the numbers up, they're like, motherfucker, how old are you? Are you 80? <laughs> but I, a lot there of was times, a lot of I, was, I was multiple with yeah. multiple women. At one time, I, I remember one time I had 12 girls that were claiming that they were my girlfriend. Wow. Exclusively. And I was literally, <laughs> like, it was, in, like, really insane. Like, I, and I was so, you know, all I did was strip and uh-huh. fuck girls. That's all I did. Every, like, where, I, I mean, I remember when I was, like, really at the height of, I, and I might have been a sexual addict at the time. Sounds like it. Um, I. Either that or you were really going against your nature. <laughs> <laughs> I was, um. Like I, I, if I could not go to a show and pick up another girl, like I couldn't just spontaneously pick up a chick because because it would fuck up the flow. Like I'd have a girl come in the morning, and then she'd leave at three <laughs> you o'clock. Schedule. Her. I couldn't schedule a chicken. It was really <laughs> insane. It was really insane. Um, oh man! And, and again, I'm not. Man, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, there are scheduling conflicts right now for. I'm I'm not, and if I did, if she was uh-huh. that hot that I did, yeah, it was like I would. It was like a week and a half to get back on schedule. Yeah, when you did get married, the girl that you married, yeah, was it your decision? Like, hey, I want to get married to you, or was she telling you? Let's we were get living married? together. She had a daughter. I was raising her daughter, mm-hmm. and she really. I, what's What's funny? This is how I asked her to marry me. Like I can't. There was no pressure about marriage or anything. I just came and I go. You love me. And she goes, yeah. And I go, you want to be with me? She goes, yeah. And I go, here. She was washing the dishes. And I go, here. I gave her the ring. Wow. But I had got the ring made custom. I had it custom made. Boy, you must have known the answer was yes before you spent money for custom yeah, like made. What? I mean, who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to marry me? <laughs> of course, me? of course. But that dude, I, I'm going to read more of that dude's stuff. Yeah? Yeah, that was interesting. Well, yeah, I, I I think it was a very good pick for you, Alex. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was he pulled that one right out of his hat, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Sometimes he really nails them. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been really great catching man, up thanks. with you, man. Thanks, Danny. I love you, man. I love you to death, brother. Love you like a brother. It's I always love you good too. to see you, man. We really, we really did start out in the trenches together. Yeah. At 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 probably. You know, looking back, the New York Comedy Club, where we both started out, yeah, yeah. was probably the worst place. Yeah, probably to the start worst, out. just horrible. It was, it was brutal out there. It and was, the small room, you remember? The, I always tell people the small room. Yeah. Um, when the lady used to shower upstairs, mm-hmm. um, and she used this kind of cucumber kiwi 
stuff it used to pour out of the wall into a bucket and the whole room would smell like kiwi cucumber <laughs> bath gel you so remember Rio bringing up Rio the Japanese yeah, yeah, guy yeah, bringing yeah. up those buckets of ice all the time yeah, yeah. Just, oh my goodness it was quite was a quite a scene now uh, the other I th- I'm trying to think who else from back then I've had on the show I know Maddie Goldberg Maddie yeah, Goldberg. Maddie 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 was my buddy like he was a real close dude for me because I you know I I always had this thing about I was I hate to see a dude get bullied. Yeah. And so I automatically I mean me and me and Maddie are polar opposites. Right. Like and we used to hang out tough. I mean if you remember we used to hang out so much and Yeah. And uh Maddie's uh you so know out in it LA. It's very interesting coming together of all these people from yeah. very different worlds. Yeah. Yeah. Very different backgrounds. You know, I went to Yeshiva yeah. Maddie had, you know, lost a piece of his brain. Yeah, brain surgery. You were a pimp. Yeah. And it's a and very we're all together. interesting, like, yeah. That's crazy. Uh, ensemble that formed like that. And uh, yeah. one or two other people from, from my past I've had on the show, but not from New York Comedy Club. Yeah. I had Mike Mike Circlin, who popped in sometimes, but okay. he was really yeah, a Joe yeah. Franklin's guy. Yeah. But um, that's where I headed to after the New York yeah. Comedy Club days. And, and I went then, over to Boston. And then you went over to the Boston then after Joe Franklin's, I headed over the Boston, changed yeah. hands, and it became the Comedy Village. And yeah. I got there just at the changing of the guard. Yeah. And then yeah. we wound up hanging out together every night once again. Yeah. Yeah. It was me, you, Vecchione, Joe DeRosa, Harris, Stanton, Marina Franklin. Chris Iacono. Kurt, Kurt Metzger. Jordan Chris Ferber. G- Jordan Ferber. Um, uh, Big J. Uh, Chelsea Peretti, Chelsea Peretti, Mike DiStefano, Mike DiStefano, just a, a a plethora of beastly comics. And, I mean, and, just, and, and, and a regular drop in from Dave Chappelle and 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 Dan Cook and Dan Cook used to come through. Um, but I mean, a real plethora of probably, in my opinion, some of the best comics ever. Like we'll go Greer down. Barnes, did you say Greer? Yeah, Greer, Greer, Greer Barnes, um, Tony Woods. Um, yeah. Tony Woods. DC Benny Tony David Tell Woods I do a pretty good Tony Woods Yeah What's up shorty Hey Hey shorty <laughs> everybody that's our show thank you for tuning in thank you again to dante nero for doing the show go check out his podcast as well uh i am uh i'm i'm just in the best mood ever i'm elated if you want to make a donation to the show go to moderndayphilosophers.net and that would be awesome that's how we keep the show going this one especially was commercial free as a special wedding present to you guys uh, but uh, moderndayphilosophers.net is the website and if you want to get season one it's now available in the iTunes store if you put in Modern Day Philosophers under albums instead of under podcasts I, I messed up and I didn't list it as season one but whatever you'll see it it's the only thing that says Modern Day Philosophers under albums that's it it's $9.99 and you can get season one easy and email me thecomical at yahoo.com I love hearing from you guys. Even if you've emailed me before, email me again. Keep it going. Keep the correspondence alive, people. iTunes, nice review would be sweet. Really sweet of you. Five stars. That's all I ask. 
All right, everyone. I'm getting married. See you next week. Have a great week. Bye-bye.